God sends help. Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was sunny outside, the shutters were closed. The door was locked. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus had told them. I am going to send you a special present. God's power is going to come into you. God's Holy Spirit is coming. So here they were, waiting. Actually, mostly what they were doing was just being scared and hiding. Well, you can't blame them. Their best friend had left. The important people and leaders were after them, and Jesus had given them a job they didn't know how to do. As they waited, they were praying and remembering, remembering how, from the beginning, God had been working out his secret rescue plan. Suddenly, a strong wind filled the little room, whistling through the walls, rustling the straw on the floor, and there, on everyone's heads, shining in the gloom, were flickering flames, fire that didn't hurt or burn, and something more. Inside, in their hearts, they felt a strange heat, almost as if all the coldness and hardness were melting away, as if their broken hearts were mending, and God was giving them brand new hearts, hearts that could work properly. How it happened, they didn't know. But they knew God's power had struck their hearts ablaze, and Jesus himself was coming to live inside them. They had seen Jesus go away, but now he was closer than he had ever been, inside their hearts. And this time, nothing could ever separate them. Jesus would always be there with them, loving them, whispering the promise that would get rid of the poison and the terrible lie and the sickness in their hearts. God's wonderful promise to them, You are my child, and I love you. Make your home in me, as I make my home in you, Jesus had said. Could it be? Heaven was coming into their hearts? They threw open the shutters. Sunlight flooded their room as love had flooded their hearts. And the little room was filled with happy noises, dancing feet, singing, laughing. They unlocked the door and surged out into the streets as if they had never been afraid. Peter spoke in a loud voice so everyone could hear. Jesus died for you, he said because he loves you. But God made him alive again. He has rescued you. People stopped and listened. The words sank down deep into their hearts and worked like a medicine that makes you well, like the antidote to deadly poison, like a kiss that wakes you from a deep sleep. Stop running away from God, Peter said. Run to him instead so he can love you and make you free. And Peter told them the wonderful story of God's love. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. How Jesus had come, all that had happened. There were lots of people from faraway countries in Jerusalem. They couldn't speak the same language, but as they listened to Peter, 
everyone could understand what he was saying in their own languages. Many people believed and became Jesus' new friends and helpers. And the wonderful news of Jesus spread like sparks from a fire to villages, towns, cities. Every day, more and more people believed. And so it was that the family of God's children, his special people, grew. One man was watching. I'll stop this, Saul said. But this was God's plan, and nothing in all the world would ever be able to stop it. Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Happy Apple Blossom. Whoopee! That's a real response. <laughs> so who took in the parade? Anybody take the... Are you, good. <laughs> Very, the prayer brunch, we had a prayer brunch here and, and uh, again hosted it here. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, thank you to all the volunteers here at FBC who uh, take time out of busy lives and schedules so that we can provide that for the community and it is a blessing for the community and it was a very very nice prayer brunch i think it's a the premier event of apple blossom weekend but um, wonderful wonderful time um uh, a blessing for sure and uh, to think that this is charlie's and sharon's uh, final kind of sunday here 17 years ago and of course he added another 13 years when charlie and sharon were uh, Charlie was pastoring back in Texas for 13 years in children's ministry. So 30 years of, uh, of children's ministry. By the way, an interesting little tidbit of information. <clears throat> when Charlie and Sharon moved here 17 years ago, they bought their house from a former member here. That was uh, Mark and Sherry Lyon were moving to Homer, Alaska. So they bought Mark and Sherry's house. And Mark and Sherry have never been here in 17 years, but they're here today. I, you drove all the way down to well, greet Charlie and Sharon, I guess. Uh, but it's been 17 years since they've been here, so it's kind of a, I don't know what that means, you know, I don't know what, what God has in mind for that. But um, 17 years, there's a lot of water under the bridge. And uh, in many respects, uh, Charlie has been a game changer in the lives of many people here and the children and some of whom you saw participate today. A game changer. Let me give you a definition. Merriman's Webster's Dictionary. A game changer. It's, a, it's a, a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Either an event or a, per, a person. Uh, it, it, it's something that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Um, that the wheel was a game changer, the invention of the wheel. Gutenberg's printing press, th that was a game changer. If you know your, uh, your history a little bit, you know that when the United States entered World War I and World War II, that was a game-changing event in uh, the history of the world. Um, Henry Ford was a game changer. Uh, this last month, we celebrated or commemorated uh, 75 years ago, the breaking of the color barrier when Jackie Robinson entered the National uh, Baseball Leagues and Branch Rickey. That, the, Jackie Robinson was a game changer. The Internet was a game changer. It's something that alters the, the course of human history. Now, the, 
the greatest game changer, of course, was Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity leaves his home in glory and as according to Philippians chapter 2, he became a bondservant. He wrapped himself up in humanity. He comes into our world as a human being while being fully uh, divine. And he comes out of great love. God so loved the world. And he comes to take our sin upon himself. He comes to die in our place. He is our sin bearer. He's the sacrificial lamb. And three days later, he rose again. There is no game changer like Jesus Christ. But maybe second to Jesus Christ was something that Jesus himself even talked about. John chapter 16, Jesus said this, I am going to him who sent me. But I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you whatever is to come. I'm going away, Jesus said. And it's really to your advantage that I go away, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Again, I think second only to the the coming of Jesus himself is this the coming of the Holy Spirit. The greater things you'll do, because I go to the Father, but I'm going to send you a game changer, my spirit. Now, to fully understand, I think, appreciate the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have to see it in the context of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament prophets talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was vital. When the Old Testament prophets talked about a, a coming new age, a coming age of, of, of co- new covenant blessings called the messianic age. They talked about the, the coming of the anointed when the Messiah, but tied with that was this, what the prophets called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples, like in Isaiah chapter 32. When the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace, shalom, and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. And then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in a secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. There's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God. My Spirit, I'm going to pour it out. And He's going to be a game changer. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. And this one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. A game changer. I'm going to pour out my spirit and they will, their, their lives will be totally reoriented to me. Something powerful was going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Ezekiel, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. 
And moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances, and you will live in that land that I, give, that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Watch out. Joel, chapter 2, similarly, said it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I'll display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Watch out. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And it's tied with this coming of the messianic age. And, and every wrong is going to be put right. And every evil is going to be dealt with. And the king will reign supreme. And the world will be put back into wholeness and shalom and peace. When the Messiah comes and the spirit is outpoured. It's a game changer. That's what the prophets prophesied. That's what would be coming. And for centuries, the, the people of God, this was directed to the Jewish people. For centuries, they waited. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then one day, a most unique individual showed up on the banks of the Jordan River. We read about it in Mark chapter 1. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. And they were confessing their sins. And it says that John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me. One is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Boom, there it is. There, there it is. I mean, for 400 years, 800 years. Where, where was it? When is this happening? And now John the Baptist comes on the scene. There's someone coming, mightier than I. That long-awaited announcement was made. Um, anticipation continued. It says in John chapter 1, we read that the next day they saw Jesus. He saw John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, and by whom, on behalf of whom I said after me, comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And then it says, John testified and says, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And John says, I myself, I've seen it. And I testify, this is the Son of God. There it is. Everything that the Old Testament prophets had talked about. 
the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the, of, of the anointed one. It, it's, it's what Gabriel said to Mary. I'm going to give you a son. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. He's the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes, there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God, just like Isaiah had prophesied, just like Ezekiel had prophesied, just like Joel and Zechariah, these prophets of old, had said. Now, it would have stirred the crowd up, obviously. Oh, there was other so-called messiahs that you know, came on the scene, and, but they never panned out. They never had a John the Baptist come. The head muckamucks from Jerusalem, the religious leaders, they come up and they go to the Jordan. They're going to check this guy out. Who are you? You talk about causing a stir. This is the time. This is he. I, I baptize you with water, but he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who are you? Are you Elijah the prophet? Well, no, I'm not. Are, are, you, are you that promised Messiah? They said, no. What are you? And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. We won't take the time to turn there, but he says, I'm, I'm a voice. I'm a voice who's simply preparing the way for Jehovah, for Yahweh. He's coming. He's coming. And for three years, people saw Jesus heal and do his miracles, saw Jesus raise from the dead, the pe people from the dead. They heard his teaching. No one taught like this man. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? You're, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And indeed he was. He was Jesus who had come. He spent much of the kind of final hours of his life here on earth after those three years talking about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He teaches his disciples about it. For instance, John chapter 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In fact, greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides in you and will be in you. John chapter 14, verse 26, similarly, Jesus said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Next chapter, chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll testify about me. John chapter 16, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because I, if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I'm going to the Father, and it's to your advantage. In fact, greater works will you do than what I do, because I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send the Helper. I'm going to pour out the Spirit of God and watch out for what happens. Now, of course, the strangest thing happened was this a few hours later, after Jesus saying this, he's hanging on a cross. And the Jewish people turned against him. The religious leaders did. And he's crucified. Um, of course, three days later, he rises from the dead. God's program and plan is not thwarted in any way at all because it was all part of God's plan and program. 
as was what was about to happen. Um, we read about it in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead, and for 40 days, he is teaching his disciples and his followers about what is to come. For 40 days, it says he teaches to them about the, the kingdom of God. Well, of course, that's what the king would talk about. The kingdom is going to come. Is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom in Jerusalem, says Peter? And Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs that the Father has set, but you just be my witnesses. And he says, and I'm going to give you every opportunity to be an effective witness. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, actually, it's recorded, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They had waited and waited. Centuries had gone by. There's one thing when the, when the last Old Testament prophet dressed in camel's hair and that leather belt eating a who knows what kind of a diet is crying out, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I baptize you in water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. They hadn't heard those words in centuries. And then he comes, the dove descends upon him. This is he. This is the Son of God. And Jesus shows that over and over again. And then he tells them, but I am going away. I am going to go away and I'm going to send another helper. And he'll lead you in all truth. And he comes from my father. And he's going to come not many days from now. And so they wait in Jerusalem. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Because again, next to, I think, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we will read here in Acts chapter 2 is the most game-changing event in world history next to our Lord's coming. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit now was giving them utterance. And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And verse 6 says, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed. They were astonished. And they said, why, are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, uneducated. They were the rebels from the north. They were the radical, uneducated Galileans. Verse 8 says, and how is it that now we, we each hear them in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the distance, uh, districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We, we hear them 
in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued, verse 12 says, in amazement, with great perplexity, and saying, what does this mean? Like, what in the world is going on? And others were simply mocking and saying, they're drunk. They've gotten into the sweet wine. And that's when, in verse 14, the man who just a few weeks before had trembled and denied Jesus, trembled at the, at the feet of a, a little slave girl around the fire, now Peter gets up, full of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God had been poured out, and taking a stand with the eleven, verse 14, he raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. And it shall be in the last days. I will pour out forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, and even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved, will be rescued. Wow. What in the world had happened to Peter? By the way, we're going to be studying the book of Acts starting next fall. And so we'll get into these things a little bit more. But man, you talk about a game-changing event. Meek and mild and scared little Peter, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is poured out upon him and he gets up and he preaches. Boy, does he preach. Men of Judea, men of Israel, men of Jerusalem. And he keeps going. The power of the, the spoken word through a vessel who is controlled and empowered by the Spirit of God. Now John is, or John the Baptist has, has gone off the scene, but he predicted the baptism was going to come. Jesus picked that message up. It's coming not many days from now. And there in Acts 2, we just read a historical account. It happened historically in fulfillment of Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It would seem that 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 the messianic age had dawned again that this coming of the anointed one and the outpouring of the holy spirit they were intricately tied together but but here was the this was the head scratcher to it's, it had to be to peter and these guys the spirit of god had now been outpoured just like isaiah had predicted in joel and ezekiel but where was the messiah they saw him ascend into heaven they, they, they were looking up there as he ascended from the Mount of Olives and they're gawking up in heaven and then the angel shows up and says why are you you know gawking up in heaven this same Jesus he's going to return in the same way he went he wasn't there though how, how can you have a messianic age without a messiah how can you have a the, the kingdom without the king the Old Testament predicted it so what's going on here you got the outpouring, but you don't have a Messiah. Well, in the next chapter, Peter tries to explain that. Acts chapter 3, verse 12, we'll pick up the story. This is the story where um, 
Peter and John heal the lame man outside the temple. Silver and gold have we none, but what we have in the name of Jesus Christ, take up thy bed and walk. And he does. And so it is explained this way, starting in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, and you disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, remember? And you put to death, verse 15, the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Messiah, his Christ, would suffer, he's fulfilled it. Therefore, repent, return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See what Peter is saying? He's talking to the Jewish people. Why? Well, that's who they were. That was Jerusalem. This is God's chosen people. Those are the people that Isaiah had prophesied over. My people, the Jewish people. That's who Ezekiel had talked about. The Old Testament prophets. It was to the Jewish people. There's Peter. Men of Israel, you crucified, you disowned the prince of life. God raised him from the dead. Now, change your thinking, change your mind, repent, and return to him, your Messiah, because he is the Christ. And then the times of refreshing will come. What do you mean? You mean the, the full expression of all that the prophets have prophesied. That messianic age in all its glory. It's, it's what uh, uh, Gabriel had, had told Mary. You're going to have a little baby boy, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the coming king. And he's going to come and sit in, in the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and all those things that have been foretold by the prophets are going to take place. This world is going to forever be changed. So Jewish people, you better repent Change your mind about him so that these times of refreshing may come. Verse 20, and then he'll send Jesus, the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. He's in heaven now, but he's going to come back soon if you repent, O Israel. So what happened next? Well, we keep reading through the book of Acts. We find they didn't repent. In fact, they took one of the, the, this band of Christ followers by the name of Stephen, and they stoned them. They killed them. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, a great persecution began. It, this is not how it was to be scripted. And, and that early band of Christ followers, these Jewish Followers of Jesus now are, are dispersed. The Greek diaspora begins and they're dispersed around the, the Roman Empire. What is happening? Um, they reject their Messiah. And then another earth-shattering, shocking thing takes place. 
um, Peter was totally taken by surprise. In Acts chapter 10, he has a vision. Go eat this unclean food. Oh, I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't eat that stuff. Don't call unclean what God has cleansed. And then God sends them to, of all people, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. Ooh, a Gentile dog. Look, all these promises are for Jews. The Old Testament, right? I mean, that's... But God tells them to go to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. And we read about in Acts chapter 10 when... I hope that's not the Lord telling me to be quiet. But, <laughs> although I do like kind of the extra... So Peter, it says, he, he's talking and he's preaching to Cornelius, verse 44, and while Peter is still speaking, what happens? The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, these Jewish believers, came with Peter. They, they were shocked, amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God, and Peter said, well, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who received the Holy Spirit just as we did, and so... They were baptized and were welcomed into this, this fellowship of, of Jesus believers. Oh, Peter's got a problem now. He's got to go back in Acts chapter 11 and explain all this to John and James and the other guys in Jerusalem, the good Jewish boys. They don't want to share their Messiah with anyone, so Peter has to go and explain what happened. The Gentiles got the Holy Spirit. And he explains there in, in Chapter 11, verse 15, and as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of our Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You know, get off my back. This is a God thing. And when they heard this, they quieted down, they glorified God, and they said, what? Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. There was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, wasn't it Joel who said, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind? And yet, these promises, weren't they for the Jewish people? Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and this outpouring, wasn't it for the Jewish people? Clearly not. Clearly not. In fact, God raised up a great Jewish boy, um, young man, by the name of Saul of Tarsus, and he miraculously saves him and has that encounter on the road to Damascus, and he sends Paul out as the great missionary to the Gentiles. And he shares this wonderful good news that you can have a relationship with Almighty God. You can be a part of this, 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 this new entity, this, this body of Christ that God is forming. He's taking Jews and Gentiles, and he's bringing them all together. And he says, and he writes to one of the churches in 1 Corinthians, he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And we see that God's plan for the ages included not just something that was localized and nationalized with the Jewish people. It was for anyone who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just for the Jewish people. It was for anyone 
who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, man, did it happen. He rained down the Holy Spirit. He poured him forth. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior receives that Holy Spirit at the moment of faith. But what does it mean for us today? I mean, this is history. This is historical stuff. It happened 2,000 years ago. 2,800 years ago when Isaiah prophesied these things, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But what does, what does it mean for, for the person who, who many of us may be facing economic uncertainties, mounting debt, an economy that is going south? What does it mean for the person who's in an unfulfilled marriage or relationship? What does it mean for that person who just received this week the bad news from the doctor. It means everything. Everything. Galatians chapter 5, just turn with me, turn there real quickly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul will write, I say walk, live, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, oh man, all bets are off. He goes in, gives us a list there in verse 19, 20, 21, what that flesh looks like. Do you see yourself in any of that? Verse 21, envies, drunkenness, or verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Good night. Doesn't that not look like some things that happen in our homes, in our community, in our world? But what did he say in verse 16? You've been, well, I'm adding here a little bit. The Spirit of God has been poured out in you and if you walk by the Spirit, if you appropriate who is within you and His power and strength, if you walk by that power, you will... And by the way, there's two negatives that are used in that verse. In English, when you put the two negatives there, it can't, they cancel each other out, but not in the Greek language. It's added for emphasis. I say walk by the Spirit and you will absolutely, impossible, no way, experience and live out the, the, the stench of the flesh. So, so what takes its place? Look at verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So live it out, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, then let's, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. Folks, do you know? It's a game changer. It's a game changer. All that muck and ugliness that's listed there it's called the flesh oh we're capable of it you want to know what a believer is capable of doing just read everything that the apostle paul tells us not to do that's not wasted holy writ that is stuff that could actually manifest itself in our life and it stinks but what he's saying is the spirit has been poured out in our life are you kidding me love joy peace patience that's what our new identity is all about. That's who we are. 
Oh, we can have perched on our shoulder the old voice, the little Satan voice that says, uh, oh, you, you're a wretch. You know what you did last week? You know, or yesterday, that, what, what you said to that person? How you act? And you call yourself a Christian? And the accuser of the brethren just kind of accuses and condemns and condemns and condemns. Well, we, we give them a lot of fodder to do that, don't we, at times? But the Spirit of God has been poured out in our hearts. We, 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 we're different. We don't have to do the things we once did because we're not the people we once were. Why? The Spirit of God dwells within us. And if we appropriate that power and walk in His strength, and we'll talk about that as we get into the book of Acts, but as we appropriate that power and walk in that strength, that ugliness, it's impossible to show up in our life. That's what He said. said. And the fruit of the Spirit will manifest itself. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is going to give life to your mortal bodies. Look, we're living in a mortal body. It's a dead, corrupted carcass. (laughs) Dead mortal bodies. But the Spirit of God dwells within us if you know Jesus as our personal Savior. And he gives us the experience of life. Folks, we don't have to wait till we die to experience eternal life. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we've got it. In the presence of God in our life. And yet we go around life just looking like we've been baptized in lemon juice. Come on now. We have the the living God within us. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And everyone who puts their trust in Christ has that reality within us. Or he says it this way, Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. Let me, now what happened here? Reboot. Thank you, Jose. Let's go to th- 3.16. 3.16 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power. How? Through his Spirit who dwells in the inner man. Strengthened with power. Folks, I just want this to be an encouragement to us today. If we understood the richness of the glory of what has been deposited into us. Paul said we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. Everything we need for life and godliness is, 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 is for us. Uh, we have this incredible, wonderful grace of God. The game changer in our life is the presence of the Spirit of God within us. And folks, we can live that way. We can rise above all the, the trauma of our past. We can rise above the, 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 the sin that so easily entangles us. And that's what the world needs to see. That's what the world needs to see. And that's why we're here. You know, we're going to graduate one day and go to heaven and, you know, get on with eternity. But until then, you know, it's raining so hard, I'm just going to keep preaching. <laughs> no, no one wants to leave here, Right? Talk about being poured out. <laughs> Boy, God has given some great visuals today. You know, that's what the world needs to see. That's why we're here. 
Let your light so shine before men that they'll see. See what? See the glory of God. In this earthen vessel, cracked pots, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as, as we get less of ourselves, John the Baptist had it pegged. He understood it. He says in John chapter 3, verse 33, 36 in there, he says, I must decrease, he must increase. I got to get out of the way because what has been deposited in my life is so game-changing, earth-shattering, life-transforming, if we just believe it. Would you pray with me, Father? I would ask that this, as you describe in Ephesians 1, as simply the down payment of the inheritance that is yet to come. Oh, Jesus, you're going to return, and you're going to set up your kingdom, and this world will be in We'll never see anything like it. Justice will roll down. It'll, your glory will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. Shalom, peace will reign. One day, Father, every wrong is going to be put right. Every evil will be dealt with. And righteousness and justice. The full expression of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and your presence and that age of, of glory that is yet to come. But until then, Lord, that, that glory is within each one of us who know you as our Savior. So my prayer, Father, is help us not to believe the lies that are so often heard in our spirit. Lies that, that diminish the work that you did, that moment of faith, when in this old, corrupted, and dying, and mortal body, you place the presence of your very life and the power of the Holy Spirit within each one of us. And I pray, Father, that we will think very seriously here as a body of believers, as a church, as individuals, of the impact and what that means. At least today, I would pray, Father, we can all walk out of here thinking just a little bit differently. Feeling a sense of hope, a sense of, of anticipation, of joy that, that it really is true. That who you say I am can be lived out in compelling ways and that we can make a difference in this world. For your glory, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.